Welcome to the Yi Medicine Show, a podcast for acupuncturists and practitioners of acupuncture and Chinese and classical medicine. I am your host, Elise Tara, and with me today is Adina Stanescu. Welcome, Adina. Thank you, Elise. Great to have you here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Adina. I'm uh, primarily a TCM herbalist much more so than acupuncturist, and I've been practicing in Toronto for about 22 years. 22 years. So Mm -hmm. you've been here for the whole ride through regulation and everything. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your practice. Where is it located? What do you do there? Um, It's downtown near DuPont Subway. Um, It's called the TCM Clinic. And I uh, practice with a heavy focus on skin diseases. Yeah, dermatology. Dermatology, so that comprises about, um, well, anywhere from 60 to 90% of my practice, depending on, you know, when you ask me. Right. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about how your clinic is set up. Um, How many patients do you see um, in a day kind of thing? How many rooms do you have? Uh, The days vary as I also teach, but uh, in a week, usually I see around 30 patients. Mm -hmm. Um, the model is like a lone wolf, <laughs> lone wolf clinic. <laughs> clinic. Although that's changed now, because I do have an associate uh, who's in sometimes, Oksana Kolibaba. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, all this time I've done everything myself. So, receptionist, herbalist, janitor, yep, <laughs> pharmacist, marketer. Uh, marketer. That's never really been. Um, a big part of my activity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What made you get into Chinese medicine? It was um, pretty impulsive. I can relate to that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was impulsive. So the first contact I had was through, uh, was in my mid-teens, mm-hmm. uh, through stories that uh, my cousin brought back from uh, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. in China. She was a medical student and she went there on <clears throat> an exchange, I guess, and she toured some of the hospitals, ended up very interested in acupuncture and brought uh, stories home to us about, you know, fantastic treatments, miraculous recoveries from stroke and all kinds of stuff and right. tried to explain to the family what is acupuncture and meridians and chi and of course it all went totally over our head. And, um <laughs> They were interesting stories, but I wasn't like, oh, my God. But they they did stay with me. Mm -hmm. And then um, a few years later, so I guess I was about 23. Yeah, 23. um, I'd had a baby, and I had been mostly at home with him. Mm -hmm. He was about eight months old. An acquaintance, and I hadn't seen her for a while. So we were catching up and said, hey, what are you up to? She said, oh, I'm studying acupuncture. It's phenomenal. I love it so much. (laughs) And uh, 
she told me where, and it was downtown at David Lamb's school, the Institute of Traditional Chinese Medicine, I think it was called. And um, I said, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> so I think really within a week, because yeah. it was August, and so the school year was starting in September. I went in, I signed up, I paid, and there I was. Wow. Yeah. And you didn't look back? No. Did you at any point go, what the heck am I getting myself no, into? No, <laughs> not at all, not at all. And we mostly, uh, we didn't really study herbs, um, just a little bit. Um, you know, Dr. Lam would add some uh, patent formulas to mm -hmm. his uh, point prescriptions for various things. So it, um, at that point, didn't hold much meaning to me, the herbal medicine aspect. Um, but then... Um, what happened next? I think I went to David Bray, who is a very well-known practitioner here mm -hmm. in Toronto, for treatment for myself. And he practiced a lot of herbal medicine. And through um, being treated with herbs myself, I realized, oh my God, this is actually what I want to pursue more than acupuncture. Even then, I knew that I had an affinity for herbs yeah. that I didn't have quite in the same way with acupuncture. What percentage of your practice now is herbs and what percentage is acupuncture? Um, it is 80% um, herbs right. or 90% herbs and 10% acupuncture, yeah. which I use now just as an adjunct. Um, if somebody calls for a condition that requires acupuncture as a primary treatment, I will refer them out. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're doing dermatology primarily, that tends to respond best to herbs. Yes. Yeah. You have to use herbs. How did you find yourself focusing on that? Um, so again, it wasn't, uh, it was accidental, I could say. Um, <laughs> I'd had, you know, I'd had to treat some skin stuff, mostly acne, as I remember, mm -hmm. as part of my general practice before I trained in dermatology. And I'd actually had some pretty good results, but it wasn't anything that grabbed me. Yeah. And then a, a friend, a colleague, uh, called me one day and he said, um, I'm trying to get this guy, Mazin Al-Kafaji, to come to Toronto uh, to do a skin seminar. Mm -hmm. And I said, who's Mazin Al-Kafaji? And I said, you know, I hadn't even heard of him. And he said, do you want to come? And I said, I'm not really interested. <laughs> and he said, actually, I really need help to promote it. Right. Because it's going to be really expensive to cover my costs. So if you would help me to do that... You can come. I think he gave me a reduced rate or something. Right. Because a lot of it was about money. I mean, I just started practicing not that long before. Uh, and this was going to be, uh, the first course was going to be a week-long course anyway. So I didn't think I could afford it. I didn't think I was interested. Um, so I helped him to promote it. And then I went to the course. And really in the first, I don't know, 15 minutes, mm -hmm. As he presented his slides, um, I think he came with like 800 cases. Wow. In the before and after pictures. Wow. I mean, I nearly fell over. Yeah. When I saw what he was able to do with herbs for these intractable inflammatory skin diseases yeah. that are not 
very well treated in Western medicine. Right. So I think, you know, we all want to be effective. Yeah, for right? sure. And we want to be clearly effective. Sure. And there's nothing more clear than to see a skin disease on the skin before the treatment and invisible and gone after. Yeah, yeah. I know one of my first aha moments with my practice was a dermatology condition. It was in my third or fourth month after I'd graduated. I was working in a MD's office in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And I had two treatment rooms upstairs and her main treatments were downstairs. And she was this amazing uh, Eastern European trained mm. doctor and people loved her. Like her patients loved her. The, and what was amazing was her absolute inability to manage time. So people would show up with their <laughs> lunches, right? Because they knew they were going to be there for hours. And mm-hmm. so one of the ways that I worked with her was she'd see a patient, she'd do the intake and then she'd go off to do something else. And while she was off doing something else, she'd send the patient up to me for an acupuncture treatment. Okay. And one day she called me down to her clinic. Instead of sending the patient upstairs, I went downstairs and it was a 18 month old baby who was covered head to toe in in rash. Her whole body, like 70% of her body was covered in rash. She had zero affect. She just sort of sat there on her dad's lap without any acknowledgement of the world at all she had been constipated by that point for 10 days she hadn't had a bowel movement and what had happened was she had a cough she went to the doctors the doctor put her on antibiotics she developed a rash they gave her more antibiotics the rash got worse they didn't make the connection between the antibiotics and the rash right it was a drug rash yeah it was a drug related rash Mm -hmm. but then she had been off the antibiotics for 10 days at that point and still hadn't responded the rash hadn't gone away and i'm like three months out of pro- out of school right and i'm like okay i'm just gonna do what i learned and at that point i was doing toyohari style so it's a non-insertive classical japanese style of acupuncture okay. i did my diagnosis i did my points i went back upstairs to my to my office right about half an hour later i get a call on the on the intercom Elise, can you please come down right away i come downstairs and this kid who had been sitting there not interacting with anybody was laughing and she was playing with her dad's cell phone she was playing you know hello on the cell phone her dad was like blown away because Mm -hmm. she had gone from nothing to communicating um we were all really astounded (laughs) i bet she came back two days later for a follow-up appointment and the rash was almost completely gone she'd had a massive bowel movement as soon as she got home and she'd been having regular bowel movements ever since two to three times a day blew my mind that's an incredible result i know right and and it's the thing that really got to me on that experience was it was clear Mm -hmm. there was no question that the results were related to the treatment because nothing else had Mm -hmm. changed for her that and just the 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 just the overwhelming change completely it wasn't just the skin it was everything else her whole system had improved yeah that just blew me away and also when you're working on an 18 month old right there's no there's no um, placebo, right? Nobody can say, oh, it's just the placebo effect. You just think you're feeling better, right? Right. And that's the really cool thing to me about treating dermatology is you can see it right away, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Do you have any stories like that? Like, did anything like that happen? I uh, mean, I guess when you were of, taking the, the course, lots. you got to see the, yeah. right? Yeah. 
No, I've had some uh, wonderful successes in my practice. I've also had, you know, enough failures. The challenges. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't call them failures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, it really depends, too, on which skin disease we're talking about. I mean, some are known to have, to be very difficult to treat. Um, yeah. Vitiligo, for instance, is a good example. So if you take all cases uh, together, including, so recent cases together with medium term and long term, like 20 or plus cases, put them all together, we probably don't help more than 30% of people. Okay. So you know, going into it, that it's going to be difficult. Right. You have to explain that to the patient, obviously. Uh, Whereas some conditions like uh, certain types of eczema are like 95% uh, treatable. I, I want to say curable, except we're not allowed to say that. Right. Um, psoriasis 60 to 70 percent and so on so it really depends what actually biomedical disease we're talking about yeah um, so <clears throat> ideally the ones that you know should respond well do respond well okay the rule of thumb um, is that the more um, a skin disease falls into a textbook presentation so, for instance, um, atopic dermatitis, which is the most common eczema now in children, mm-hmm. should be in the flexures. Um, when it appears um, on the extensor surfaces in childhood and even in adults, you, you see that, and that's not the textbook presentation, right? That atypical feature means that it will likely be much more stubborn. Yeah to treat do you what kind of education do you do with your patients to help them understand how it works and to get compliance because when they're taking herbs are you doing like more raw herbs or granules or I do uh, primarily decoctions okay yeah I would say um, again depending when you ask me but as a general average about 80% are on decoctions for several months so I do have to do a lot of education right. and inspiration to get people. And I've gotten pretty good at that, I have to say. Yeah? Yeah. How do, you, <laughs> how do you communicate it to them then? How do you, because going on herbs, first of all, for people who grew up in North America, having a, oh, yeah. uh, the taste of herbs yeah. is really hard for a lot of people to get past mm-hmm. in order to take it. Mm-hmm. How do you get them to comply and to keep complying? Um, so I tell them that the only way that I know how to help them and that I have had a lot of experience treating their particular skin problem, mm-hmm. um, and the only way that I know in my experience uh, is most likely to work is for them to boil and drink yeah. nasty tasting decoctions for a period of several months. And I almost always literally say it like that. Yeah. Um, that, And then I explain that uh, granules and pills just don't have the potency and the sufficient dosage to shift something that Mm -hmm. typically needs, uh, you know, a sledgehammer because it's uh, stubborn, intractable, chronic. They've suffered with it for a long time. They've tried every treatment, every cream. So they resonate with that because they know it's true that it has been their experience. I've tried so many things. I can't get rid of this. Yeah. A problem. You're their last hope kind of thing. Oftentimes. And so I explain that two things about this are different. One is that we're going to treat it internally. 
because mostly that's not happened. Yeah. And very specifically. Um, so while what I mean by that is uh, people <clears throat> have done internal treatment in terms of, say, dietary therapy. Uh, but these are kind of general dietary therapies of the moment, um, i.e. gluten, avoiding right. gluten, avoiding dairy, avoiding whatever is the latest thing to avoid. Yeah. That um, many people who suffer from any illness are, are counseled to avoid these things. So while these might be in some way useful general dietary prescriptions... I think in most cases, they don't appear to be specific enough to shift skin diseases. Yeah. Uh, maybe I have a skewed sample because the people who come to me are already the ones who've tried that. Yeah. And it hasn't helped. So um, I say the treatment is internal and it's very specific to the manifestation of their skin disease at this particular moment. Right. Uh, so whether it's damp, whether it's dry, that's a very primary differentiation to make in Chinese medicine, Yeah, of course. Um, and so that the formula will be specifically customized based on their manifestation of psoriasis, eczema, whatever it is. And secondly, that the dosage will be high enough uh, over a sustained period of time so that it can shift what is a very entrenched pattern yeah. um, in their body. And that, yes, the herbs will taste awful, but um, that's all I have. Yeah. And people respond very well. You know, I used to say, oh, you might not like the taste. Now I come out and say, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be the worst thing you've ever had. Yeah. The first cup you take, you're going to think, I can't do her treatment. Yeah. And after that, you're going to keep taking it and you're <laughs> going to get used to it. And um, very likely that won't be such a big problem. Yeah. And that's, I found that to work the best. Because then the expectation is so uh, high on the negative side <laughs> that yeah. they actually come back and they say, yeah, it was gross, but it wasn't as bad as you made it out to be. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I like to tell people when they take the herbs, it's like, it's going to taste like 10,000 year old dead guy in a bog. Ah, yeah. That's even worse. No, <laughs> Which I'm is also the that. same thing I say about whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, do you do other things as well? Do you do dietary stuff? Speaking of nutrition, do you give specific instructions for that as well? I do um, a bit. I try to keep them to the absolute uh, bare necessities because I, I found that you know people's relationship with food is getting so punitive yeah. and so shame based and so perfectionistic that that's it, itself becoming sort of a cause of illness. Sure, sure, psychological absolutely. illness, emotional pain. Um, so um, many people are coming with that already yeah. happening. So I don't want to add to that. They've already been told by their doctors, oh, you'll feel better if you lose weight and manage your stress and exercise more. Yeah, it could be Western medicine. It could be other uh, you know, complementary yeah. practitioners. It could be, it often is a lot of what, what they read online. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's this idea now of sort of sinfulness and good and bad you know people say oh i've been so bad i've eaten 
half a box of cookies. Yeah, which which sort of makes the you know it sort of makes the whole I the whole uh, illness their fault, or then they start to feel like I'm sick because it's my fault. Because if only I'd done yeah. this instead of that, or if I could do that better, or lose weight, or do this, and I wouldn't have these health problems. Oh God, yes, absolutely. And people will come in. I mean, you know, even as we start treatment, a skin disease, um, especially one that's very active and dynamic we'll still continue to have some flare-ups and yeah. people will typically come in and they'll say i don't know what i did yeah but i had a flare-up and i'll say you didn't do anything maybe i did something actually yeah <laughs> or more likely what's happening is that you know it's going through its ebbs and flows right and improvement at the beginning is pretty unstable so you might have been feeling better for a couple of weeks and then for whatever reason there was a little setback and but you didn't do anything. Yeah. So yeah, for these reasons I don't like to be very strict, but I basically ask people not to eat spicy food, um, drink red wine, mm-hmm. uh, ginger tea and yeah. uh, you know, warming things because the central pathology is heat and right. um, you know, eighty percent of these skin diseases. Yeah. Do you notice any um, any themes in the type of patient you're getting or the patient population you're uh, who's coming in to see you, like age-wise or gender demographics? Um, yeah, before I got into uh, dermatology, it was mostly women in their 30s. Now, there's much more gender parity yeah. uh, with skin. And um, all ages, really, but probably mostly 30s still. Yeah. Of both genders, certainly kids I treat as well. Yeah, 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm -hmm. Everybody. (laughs) Everybody has skin disease, unfortunately. You're also teaching? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you teach? I teach um, herbal medicine. I teach, I taught Materia Medica this fall. Yeah. It was a crazy accelerated Materia Medica Uh where we had to learn 300 herbs in three and a half months at AIM Academy. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And that was an insane challenge, but ultimately incredibly gratifying. Nice because um, I was lucky to have probably the best group I've ever had as a teacher. And uh, they all connected with each other very well and with me. So we just from the beginning had this feeling of, you know, we're in this together. Right. This is uh, like Mount Everest, but we're going to climb it together holding hands. Nice. (laughs) This is, yeah, Yeah. what we did. So that was wonderful. And then I taught... um, I taught dermatology at Humber. Who would you say has influenced you the most? Um, I would say that uh, David Bray, who I mentioned, first ignited my interest in herbs and then became, um, he was actually my herbal medicine teacher. Yeah. Um, Was the first and very important. His knowledge of herbs was encyclopedic and his passion for it. And he was one of the few, or the only at that time, English-speaking practitioner 
who used herbs that widely right. in his practice. And to see that, to watch him, um, first as his patient and then as a student and subsequently as a colleague, um, was very inspiring. And then um, the skin, uh, the dermatology uh, specialist, Mazen Al-Kafaji, who I mentioned before, who yeah. I ended up then studying with for years right. after the first Toronto. Where is he located? Uh, Mazen is in England, okay. but he travels all over the world. Right. Um, training. Nice. Uh, TCM herbalist to treat skin diseases, which <laughs> we need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know they say that, uh, like, the ethics and jurisprudence right now says we are technically not allowed to specialize, Mm -hmm. but there's nothing, I think, in my opinion, stopping us from saying, I have additional certification in. A special interest, I think. Yeah, a special interest, yeah. Mm -hmm. So as long as, yeah, and I think it's kind of important. I think there's definitely places for general generalists general Mm -hmm. practitioners Mm -hmm. but i think that there's to me one of the things i love about chinese medicine is that it covers such a broad area that you can follow your passion down whatever rabbit hole it leads absolutely you know and takes you into some really interesting Mm -hmm. places where you can really get into a lot of depth in in not just your studying but in your application of that studying a lot of my colleagues that uh, I've met over the years at these skin courses um, who uh, have become good friends and who um, are also making dermatology a big part of their practice. And we have a very supportive community, mm-hmm. mostly online, where we exchange uh, cases and right. ask for advice. And um, yeah, those people, mostly women, um, have been a huge source of inspiration and support. That's excellent. Yeah. If you are enjoying the eMedicine show and would like to continue having content relevant to the profession like this episode, please consider supporting me on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Your support helps me cover things like podcast hosting, equipment rentals and upgrades, and ultimately helping to raise money to, to launch an Ontario acupuncture and TCMP association. Membership also comes with benefits. A premium subscription is as little as $2 a month. That's less than the cost of a store-bought latte. Your membership comes with exclusive access to members-only bonus content, practice management and technique tips and tricks, and my everlasting gratitude expressed on air. So pause this podcast right now and go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash to sign up and support the eMedicine show. I will wait here for you. And now let's return to my talk with Adina Stanescu. What would you say is your least favorite aspect of your practice? Oh, administration. (laughs) (laughs) Administration, reception. You know, mm-hmm. bookings, cancellations, modifications, yeah. Why do you choose not to work with a receptionist or office support? Um, that's a good question. I don't know, out of some kind of ignorance. Yeah? <laughs> um, I, I guess I just have always seen it as perhaps that it would be um, 
a headache as much as it would be a help. Yeah. Um, I also wanting to just keep costs low and not to have to, and to, to be able to keep my schedule flexible because, um, now, especially as I've done more and more teaching, I can change my clinic schedule as I need to do. And right. if I had to pay somebody, what would happen to them? If I was like, okay, now I'm not working four days a week. I'm going to work two days a week while I go and teach right. three days. You know what I mean? So that's why. Um, is this practice that you're currently in right now has been your only practice or have you had other forms of your practice before this one? It's pretty much it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was it like when you first started? Do you remember? I do remember. <laughs> I do remember. I had one day a week uh, in my friend's clinic at um, college in Bathurst. Mm -hmm. Across from Sneaky D's, which I thought was hilarious because before I had uh, my baby, I used to wait tables at, at Sneaky, Sneaky D's. <laughs> So a couple of years later, in a totally different profession, there I am across from Sneaky D's. Yeah, so um, that was a lovely and gentle and nice way to start. Um, yeah. How does your, um, how do you integrate your personal life and your professional life? Do you find that um, your life is all about your practice oh not at all okay <laughs> what else do you do <laughs> not at all so i actually live in toronto four days and then in the peterborough area for three days yeah where my girlfriend and i have a farm nice and it's a working farm and she's a farmer so i go there for nearly half the week yeah uh, to be with her i don't farm myself um and uh, so that's a big part of my life. Yeah. I need to have um, a good work-life balance, not only because of that, to right. accommodate this logistically and personally, but because in, in order to be sane and uh, grounded, yeah. I need that. Well, and I'm also... I'm not a workaholic. Yeah. I'm not even a terribly hardworking person. <laughs> I love my job, and I love it uh, to the degree that... I have it now. Yeah. I wouldn't want it to be, you know, I can't live a frazzle-dazzle kind of life, no matter how much I love something. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any hobbies? Uh, thinking. Thinking <laughs> as a hobby? <laughs> it feels like it's become a hobby these last few years. Um, reading, thinking, writing on, on certain topics like um, um, relationships. Yeah. I'm fascinated by um transformation uh, personal transformation transformation of the things that mm -hmm. um of 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 past history of um trauma of um tragedies and difficulties emotions the things that we so easily keep locked up right. inside of us especially in this society that can be very lonely and doesn't encourage us to mm -hmm. give time and space to that kind of stuff do you notice a strong connection between trauma and 
health in terms of what you're seeing in your patients and how disease manifests? Um, you know, there has to be. Uh, I'm not sure about, you know, kind of diagnosed trauma per se, but I definitely see and I think we all feel in ourselves the connection between um, <clears throat> those stuck, painful places. Right. The theory that we... Health. Yeah, the theory that we store yeah. dis order or you know mental disorder in our physical bodies does that i think of it as, as stagnation yeah all kinds of uh, emotional stagnation and then the disconnection that comes from that mm -hmm. uh, sort of disconnected from ourselves primarily and then disconnected from from others disconnected from our environment and natural world and mm -hmm all kinds of disconnection and then all kinds of... So really, it's it's kind of the same interest as Chinese medicine. Sure, sure. If it's an interest in relationship and in transformation. Yeah, I mean, really the foundation of a lot of what we do is qi transformation. Mm -hmm. So you're just taking that internal concept of qi transformation and putting it into the macrocosm or the macro world, right? How do we transform ourselves in our relationship to our environment, mm -hmm. our relationship to the people in our lives, etc. Exactly. Yeah. It's a deep well of fascination. Yeah. I'm interested in that too on mm -hmm. a lot of levels. Mm -hmm. I I worked for many years when I had my practice in Arizona. My patients were primarily uh, retirees uh, at one point. I'd say about 70% of my practice were people who were retired or people over 60. Mm -hmm. And um, the number of people who had a connection with a physiological problem that was rooted in an emotional event or a series of, emo mm. of emotional events or particularly stressful events. Yeah. Um, it was really, it became really clear, especially when you're dealing with somebody at that end of the life cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've had 60 years to gather experience and to have it lodge in their bodies. And I found that very fascinating myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you reading right, right now? I am reading... Um... <clears throat> A book called Life Among the Kalunat, which um, is uh, an Inuit term for white people. Mm -hmm. And it was written by this woman called Mini Aodla. It was her experience moving from the James Bay area to the south to live among white people. Was she in Ch Chisasibi? Chisasibi? Mm. No, Cape Hope Island. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's completely gripping. Yeah. She's a beautiful writer, and it's just such a window. We don't have, uh, uh, there's not a lot of first person accounts from indigenous voices that are easily accessible. Yeah. I mean, now that's changing with social media, but um, I'm very interested in that. I want to hear mm -hmm. what people's experiences were. Um, so I just stumbled upon this book and I highly recommend it. If you ever get a chance to go up there, I recommend it. I did a road trip up to Chisasubi and James Bay before I moved to Arizona. And, um, 
it's really fascinating the history of the land there and where is this exactly so it's just it's so i did the trip in five days so it took two days to get there one day there and two days to get back but i was on a motorcycle so you can probably do it faster fun from uh ottawa okay. is where i left and the whole area in the lower james bay there that used to belong to the Cree Nation mm -hmm. was sold to Hydro-Quebec and they flooded that entire land, like hundreds and hundreds of hectares were mm -hmm. flooded to create the, the uh, hydro um, dams mm -hmm. and, and thousands of people were displaced, right? And there's a, when you go up there, there's, the, there's still the, the community, the Cree community at Chisasibi, and then Radisson, which is the company town, which is just like maybe 10 miles up the road, um, the Hydro-Quebec company mm -hmm, town. Mm -hmm. And there's plaques everywhere and you can go on tours of, you know, this is this area used to be land and now it's all, you know, flooded underwater. And they had to, as part of the deal that they made with the Cree, they had to move their burial grounds oh, wow. because it was going to be mm -hmm. in the land that was mm -hmm. flooded. So, um, yeah, I remember being really blown away by that story. And that was just the surface of it, oh, you know, literally. That was, that was the story being told by the people who put the hydro dams uh -huh. in, right? right? So I'm going to get the name of that, yeah. that uh, author from you so mm -hmm. I could read it later. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, um, anything that you would, any advice you would give to incoming graduates new practitioners who were starting their practice in Ontario, uh, based on your experience, like what to do or what not to do when they start their practice? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to continue to take uh, courses in any um, specific area that they think might interest them follow their passion because and do it right away even though maybe uh you're broke and you're sick of going to school now <laughs> and you've just spent all this money and you're like let i want to start practicing but the, the truth is that in order to really get good i think you need to do continuing education after school which just teaches you the very basics right and those basics are not enough right so if you're if, absolutely if your affinity is acupuncture, then, and within acupuncture, whatever it may be, sports medicine or just uh, general MSK or right. whatever it is, whatever it is, uh, seek out the experts and immediately go off to some weekend. And now you don't have to go off, you can do a webinar. Right. Having just done my first one yesterday, I don't necessarily recommend it. But <laughs> um, that I think is the the biggest, most important advice I can give, because that will immediately increase your confidence yeah, and your effectiveness. And that will be immediately communicated to the patient. And without that, if you're timid and you're not really sure, and is this going to work? And do I really know how to treat this? Oh, what a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a hard time. Yeah. You'll you be know. burdened with imposter syndrome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, and then, um, so that's, that's the advice that I give. People don't uh, generally take this advice, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I strongly believe. 
even when I was um, <clears throat> practicing more acupuncture, and even though I wasn't particularly interested in it, I took um, a f- couple of courses with uh, Matt Callison. I don't know if he's still around. but Oh, Matt Callison. Yeah, you know him? Yeah, uh, Motor California. Point, yeah. Motor point acupuncture. Right, right. Oh, my God. Well, my confidence uh, and my needling ability and my understanding of the proper depth of needling Increased by a thousand percent after that first weekend. And all of a sudden I was a pro at treating um, um, pain and injury of the upper limbs. (laughs) Again, I took it on the advice of a friend or a friend was hosting it. I usually end up uh, in those situations. So that's what I recommend people do. And now we have more and more and more courses available all the time. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So... Thanks, Adina, for coming in today. Oh, you're welcome. Are we done? <laughs> yeah, I think okay. so. Is Thank there anything else you want to add? I guess time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Uh, no, it's been really fun, and thank you for doing this. And I'm very excited to hear uh, from all your next guests. Yeah. And I hope somebody that interviews you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You've been listening to The Yee Medicine Show, conceptualized, produced, and edited by me, Elise Terra. Music is The Quiet Solitude by Melody Loops. This has been a Maudie Doo production.